Hi there, this is Edwin Crozier from the Franklin Church of Christ again. Thank you for joining us as we open God's Word and learn how to serve and glorify Him. I have a special treat for you with this lesson. One of the deacons of the Franklin Church of Christ, Steve Garrett, has presented this lesson asking the question, Whatever happened to sin? So open your Bible and follow along and learn with us, Whatever happened to sin? If you would please be opening your Bible to 1 John chapter 1. 1 John and chapter 1. So thankful to have everyone here this morning, especially with the inclement weather that we've experienced this weekend. Sometimes you never know what a day will bring. For instance, when I woke up this morning at my normal time, I went into the kitchen to make my normal cup of coffee. There was no coffee. So I went to the pantry and there were several cans of decaffeinated coffee. In fact, they were huge cans. But I didn't want that kind. So I began wondering, what am I going to do? Going through the pantry, looking, 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 there was nothing. So I decided I'd have to go out. Even though it's raining, I'll go to the store, get something. Purchase a small thing of the right kind of coffee. Get my change back and it's six dollars. And 66 cents. And the clerk smiled at me. 666. Tina said, that's what I get for being addicted to that. I'm the third string quarterback this morning. As most of you know, Edwin's away and Brother Wood was going to preach, but he's ill today. He gave me a call this morning and be patient with me and say, look at this lesson. I haven't had a lot of time to review it today. But I want to bring us to some things that are really important. We have inconveniences and life struggles, and Edwin told us last week we, we need not worry about many things. We need to be concerned and let God take over those things. There's something very serious, however, that we all have to deal with, and that is the issue of sin. In the book of 1 John, John writes, beginning in Chapter 1 and verse 5. And this is the message we have heard from him and announced to you that God is light. And in him there is no darkness at all. If we say that we have fellowship with him and yet walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as he himself is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus his son cleanses us from all sin. If we say that we have no sin, we are deceiving ourselves, and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, He is faithful and righteous to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say that we have not sinned, we make Him a liar, and His word is not in us. Chapter 2 and verse 1, My little children, I am writing these things to you that you may not sin. And if anyone sins, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. And he himself is the propitiation for our sins, and not for ours only, but also for those of the whole world. And by this we know that we have come to know him if we keep his commandments. The one who says, I have come to know him and does not keep his commandments is a liar, and the truth is not in him. But whoever keeps his word in him, the love of God has truly been perfected. By this we know that we are in him. The one who says he abides in him ought himself to walk in the same manner as he walked. 
Every day in our land, is our court system is going through the process of establishing justice for people who have committed crimes and setting forth perhaps the penalties that they may have to pay for their crimes. The question is asked every day, how do you plead? And so many times the response is, not guilty. We seldom hear the word guilt anymore in any context. Few people feel responsible for when they have done something that is wrong. Perhaps we want to shift the responsibility from ourselves to some other entity. Perhaps society is to be blamed. Our parents are to be blamed. The school systems are to be blamed. They are guilty, but I am not. More often do we hear that. Thirty years ago, Dr. Carl Menninger asked the question in a book, Whatever Became a Sin? Whatever Became a Sin? And he writes, It was a word once on everyone's mind, but now rarely if ever heard. It is only that someone may be stupid or sick or criminal. Anxiety and depression we all acknowledge and even vague guilt feelings. But has no one committed any sins? Where did sin go? What became of it? And I think we all understand that we live in this kind of society, in this culture that began perhaps some 30 years ago, this idea of moral relativism. And it has permeated our culture to where psychology attempts to explain away things. We hear that people are, do wrong because of poverty. You know, people are poor and therefore when they steal, well, that makes it okay. Or perhaps they're being repressed politically and if they have to strike out and commit crimes against other people, well, that's okay because they're being repressed politically. Or perhaps someone may say, well, I've grown up in a dysfunctional family. How many times do we hear that term? Or even now, it's genetics is to blame. A person is born a certain way, and because of their genetic makeup, they can't help but do wrong. And so we hear the phrase, and the phrase is preferred to say, well, I am sick, rather than to say, I have sinned. We all perhaps remember about... 10, 15 years ago, the terrible race riots that took place in Los Angeles, and there was a truck driver named Reginald Denny who was, and this was all captured on television news, whose truck was stopped in an intersection, and rioting gang members pulled him out of the truck and beat him nearly to death. And all of those people that they had seen on the film footage doing this crime against him were acquitted, but all but just relatively minor crimes because the jury said that they were simply caught up in the mayhem of the moment and therefore not responsible for their actions. Back in 1978, a San Francisco supervisor murdered the mayor of San Francisco. And one of the claims that he made in court that got him a light sentence for that murder was that he said, he ate too much junk food, especially Hostess Twinkies. And a lenient jury bought the line and gave him a very reduced sentence for that. He wasn't to blame. And we see this all about us. It's not something that we have to look far 
to see. And so as a society of victims, we don't have to take responsibility for what we do. We're simply a victim of what happens to us. And therefore, we can't be convicted of sin if it's not our fault. But the text that we read there in 1 John takes an opposite view of that. John's responded here to a similar mindset that was prevalent there among early Christians. That they were not guilty of sin. There were some false teachers in the church asserting that they had not committed sin. And so John makes several points here in this text that I want to emphasize this morning that make it clear that we are responsible for our sins. And that we do stand guilty before God. John makes the point... First of all, that, and I'm going to use the overhead projector here. I know we haven't probably used this in a long time. But, brother, I want to tell you, Brother Frazier is going to get up here and talk this morning. This thing doesn't work anymore. I was here last night for about an hour trying to work up something for Vacation Bible School. It doesn't work. We need a new one quick. But this is the best we can do this morning, and I hope it helps somewhat. The first point that John makes is to challenge our own claims of not being guilty before God with the truth that we see from God's Word. This claim that I am not guilty. He says, beginning in verse 8 of chapter 1 of 1 John, if we say that we have no sin, we are deceiving ourselves and the truth is not in us. The first point John addresses here in challenging this claim is that we cannot say this or else we are not walking in the truth. These false teachers who had come in among the church there were known as Gnostics. From the Greek word gnosis meaning to know. The knowing ones. And they say here in verse, he says here in verse 8, if we say that we have no sin, we're deceiving ourselves and the truth is not in us. They thought that they knew something, but they did not have the truth. If someone decides, first of all, John asserts, to claim to be sinless, he is deceiving himself. He does not really know the reality. Instead of being knowledgeable, about the truth, they are simply self-deceived. And John asserts, secondly, that if we claim to be sinless, we do not have the truth. The truth is that we have to recognize our sin and confess our sin before God in order for that sin to be taken away. And then we are guiltless. The ultimate revelation of God's truth was Jesus Christ. He was the Word. John said in John chapter 1, In verse 1, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. The Word there, he's speaking of Jesus Christ. You know, when Christ came to the earth, He was God in the flesh. There's the ultimate revelation of God. And we don't have that if we're denying our own sins. He says in verse 10, if we say that we have not sinned, We make Him a liar, and His Word is not in us. So if we try to go around claiming that we have not sinned, then we're refuting what God has said throughout all the ages. If you would, look back in the book of Psalm, Psalm 14 and verse 3. Psalm 14 and verse 3. They have all turned aside together. They have 
become corrupt. There is no one who does good, not even one. Everyone does wrong at some point in their life. In Isaiah chapter 53 and verse 6, the prophecy being made there about the Messiah, the Lamb of God, Isaiah chapter 53. And the point is made there in verse 6 that all of us like sheep have gone astray. Each of us has turned to his own way, but the Lord has caused the iniquity of us all to fall on him. All of us have gone astray, Isaiah says. Romans chapter 3 and verse 22. Romans chapter 3, beginning in verse 22. The Apostle Paul says here, Even the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all those who believe, for there is no distinction, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Everyone has sinned. So if we want to go around like these people here that John is addressing and say that we are without sin then we're saying that God is a liar because God has said throughout the ages that we're all guilty of sin. If we try to make that claim, if we try to make that claim, His Word is not in us. We need the constant pardon of God to stand without sin. And these four assertions prove without a doubt that this claim of being sinless is false if we compare it to God's revealed Word. But John continues his thesis here by secondly making the point that if we plead guilty, then we are pardoned. If we plead guilty, then we are pardoned. The proper attitude of a child of God towards sin is never to deny it. This is the opposite of the person who is charged with a crime. They know they've committed it, but they try everything they can to say that I haven't done it. You know, we see that in children a lot, don't we? A small child that we know has done something wrong, and we say, did you do that? No, I didn't do that. I remember doing that when I was young told the story before at one time when I was staying with my grandparents. She lived in a house that I would consider very old at the time. It really wasn't that old, but to a young child it seemed like it was. And she had things in there that just didn't work quite the way they were supposed to. And as a young, curious boy, I liked to try to see if I could somehow make them work, even though I should have just left well enough alone. She had these curtains that you pull on the cord, and they were, I guess, kind of rusted up there and wouldn't move. So I kept messing with them. They moved, and they got stuck. We got stuck. I finally left them halfway open. She came in said, were you messing with those curtains? No. She just ignored it and went on. But, you know, we've got to be grown-ups about sin. We can't think as a child in that regard. Look at verse 9 of 1 John chapter 1. If we confess our sins, He is faithful and righteous to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. We have to confess our sins. And the word there indicates a continual confession. We have to keep on confessing our sins in order to receive the forgiveness that God has made possible. 
The word confess there simply means in agreement with. And all we're doing when we confess our sins is we're saying, I am confessing these or agreeing with God that, yes, I've done these things. God knows the things that I have done. And I'm simply coming to a realization that, Lord, I am admitting what you already know, that I have done wrong. And God is faithful and do two things with our sins. He says in verse 9, He will first of all forgive us our sins, and secondly, He will cleanse us from our sins. First, God promises to forgive us of our sin, or actually what we're talking about is the debt of our sin. When we commit a sin against God, there is a debt that begins to be tallied against us. We have a debt that we owe. And God forgives or takes away that debt when we have sinned. And secondly, He promises that He will cleanse us from unrighteousness or take away that stain that sin leaves in our hearts. And He'll do our part, His part, excuse me, if we will do our part. Look again back in the Psalms, in Psalm 89, verses 1 through 4. Psalm 89, 1 through 4. I will sing of the loving kindness of the Lord forever. To all generations I will make known thy faithfulness with my mouth. For I have said, loving kindness will be built up forever. In the heavens thou wilt establish thy faithfulness. I have made a covenant with my chosen. I have sworn to David my servant. I will establish your seed forever and build up your throne to all generations. David here was enamored with the faithfulness of God. That God would do his part if David would do his part. And that's the same God that we serve. He is faithful. And He will forgive us of our sins, as John said. He is faithful and righteous. God will do His part if we will do our part. Another one of the Old Testament prophets, Jeremiah, says in Jeremiah chapter 31 and verse 34, Jeremiah 31 and 34 And they shall teach not again each man his neighbor and each man his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for they shall all know me, from the least of them to the greatest of them, declares the Lord. For I will forgive their iniquities, and I will remember their sin no more. This is what God has promised. That He will take away our iniquities and that He will remember our sins no more. He will be faithful and do His part. Will we be faithful and do our part to confess our sins to Him? And God is going to do this because of the work of Jesus Christ. Look in 1 John chapter 2 and verse 1 and 2. John says, My little children, I am writing these things to you that you may not sin. And if anyone sins, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ Himself. And He Himself is the propitiation for our sins and not for ours only but also for those of the whole world. The work of Christ in our salvation. He says, first of all, that Christ is our advocate. The word advocate there comes from the Greek word meaning a go-between. And it's used only by John in the New Testament. And it refers to the legal courts of law. It's actually a legal term. 
where you have someone accused of a crime and there is a go-between between the accuser and the accused, or between the court and the person who's committed a crime. There is an advocate. And we think perhaps of an attorney or a lawyer who is our advocate if we go to court. And what Christ does is He does for us what we cannot do. He pleads our case before God. Since I am guilty, I can't plead my own case. I have to have an advocate or someone who's not guilty before the courts. And He is our advocate. He goes before God, He says, John says, My little children, if anyone sins, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. And second, He says, that He is our propitiation in verse 2 of chapter 2 of 1 John. In other words, He is the makes atonement for us. The word propitiation here carries with the connotation of appeasing the wrath. When a crime has been committed and there is wrath on the part of the injured party, that wrath has to be satisfied or appeased with something. And we think about the Old Testament laws of sacrifice, And that's what the Jews were doing by offering these sacrifices. They were appeasing the wrath of a righteous God. And Christ does that for us. He is our atoning sacrifice. His sacrificial death on the cross is the basis for our acquittal to be our propitiation or appease the wrath of a righteous God. And it's important to note that Christ isn't just trying to get us off. Like an attorney today may go in and try to get people out of being punished for their crimes, even if they're guilty. Christ isn't doing that. He's not trying to simply get us off the hook. He is asking God to accept Him in Christ as the sacrifice, as the punishment in place of our own sins. And thirdly, I think John makes a good point here if you can even read that. When we are forgiven of our sins because we confess them before God, then that means there's going to be a change in our life. When we have been forgiven, we must walk in the light. 1 John chapter 1 and verse 5, he says, "If If we walk in the light as He is in the light, We have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus, His Son, cleanses us from all sin. John is not trying to minimize sin by simply saying that you've sinned, just confess it. We have this atoning sacrifice in Christ. You can keep on sinning and keep on doing wrong because there's this mechanism in place where you can be made right with God. He's not saying that. He's not minimizing the wrong of sin. He's saying we need to be frank about our sin. We need to be honest about our sinful condition. But look in chapter 2 and verse verse 1. My little children, I'm writing these things to you that you may not sin. The point of all of this is to keep us from sinning. But if we do, we need to be honest and confess our sins before God. He says, beginning in verse 5 of chapter 1, And this is the message which we have heard and announced to you, that God is light. And in Him there is no darkness at all. And if we say that we have fellowship with Him and yet walk in the darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. Many times in the Bible we read God compares Himself or Christ compares Himself to being light as opposed 
to darkness. In chapter 5 of Matthew, verses 14 through 16, Jesus there in the Sermon on the Mount makes the point that we as followers of Christ must likewise be light. First John, excuse me, Matthew chapter 5 and verse 14. You are the light of the world. A city that is set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do men light a lamp and put it under the peck measure, but on the lampstand, and it gives light to all those who are in the house. Let your light so shine before men in such a way that they may see your good works and glorify your Father who is in heaven. And likewise, back in Ephesians chapter 5 and verse 8. Ephesians 5 and verse 8. For you were formerly darkness, but you are now light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. God is light. He is opposed to darkness, and He cannot have any fellowship with those who are in darkness. So we must walk in the light. We must walk in fellowship with God, and we cannot be walking in fellowship with those who are in darkness. And our obedience to God is going to serve as a test of this relationship with God. Look back again in 1 John chapter 2 and verse 3. John turns his attention here to the topic of obedience. It's not simply enough to believe in God, but we must obey God. And by this we know that we have come to know Him, he says, if we keep His commandments. John, he's saying we have to do something? Yes. We have to keep His commandments, he says. The one who says, I have come to know Him and does not keep His commandments is a liar, and the truth is not in him. But whoever keeps His word, in him the love of God has truly been perfected. By this we know that we are in Him. The one who says he abides in Him ought himself to walk in the same manner as he walked. Those are some big footsteps to follow in. We have to walk, he says. If we want to walk in the light, we have to walk in the same manner as he or Jesus walked. And we're not going to do that perfectly. And I think that's one of the points that John is making here. We need to walk in the light. We need to follow in the footsteps of Jesus Christ. But He was God. He was the Logos, God in the flesh. And we're not going to be perfect in that. So we need to keep on confessing our sins when we sin, turn from them, and walk in the light. You know, when it comes to the Word of God, we can hear it. We can respect it. We can admire it. We can revere the Word of God and set the Bible on our coffee table. But if we don't obey it, it doesn't matter. If we do not act in obedience to the Word of God, then it's all for naught. We can't deny our sins. If we try to deny our sins, John says, we are directly contradicting the Word of God. So what do we do? We've got to confess our sins, remembering that we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, and then we have to walk in the light as He is in the light. This morning we're going to close our lesson by offering the Lord's invitation. Have you heard the Word of God and do you know what you need to do to become a Christian, but yet you have not done it?
Do you know that the Bible says that we've got to hear the Word of God? The truth, the saving message that's found in the Gospel. And then if we believe that, that if we believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, that we can have forgiveness of our sins, that we have to repent from those sins, that we have to confess the name of Christ and obey Him and have our sins washed away in baptism. And if you believe that simple message this morning, while you have the opportunity, if you have not yet obeyed the gospel, we want to encourage you to do so. Or if you have done that, but perhaps you have not been walking in the light as you ought to, and you need to confess your sins, perhaps of a public nature, before this group this morning, so we can pray with you and encourage you and pray for you. We encourage you too to come right now as we stand and sing. I hope Steve's lesson was helpful to you today as he answered the question, whatever happened to sin? If you have any questions about sin or how to deal with our sin so that we might be saved, please give us a call at the Franklin Church of Christ. Our phone number is 615-794-2359. Or you can contact us through our website at www.franklinchurchofchrist.com. If somebody gave you this lesson, feel free to come to our website. Again, that's franklinchurchofchrist.com. We have numerous lessons that you're allowed to download and listen to in audio format or read in outline format. You're free to download and use these, distribute them in any way that you believe will glorify and honor God and bring His servants closer to Him. May God richly bless you as you draw closer to Him. But more importantly... May you richly bless God.